Hey, everybody. Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick. Uh, we're coming to you today from our uh, familiar surroundings here at Carol's Studio on West 55th Street in New York City. Uh, before we get the interview started, just wanted to give you a heads up on a couple of things that are uh, uh, on the horizon for Hip Bone Music. I'm really excited to announce that we're going to be doing a reissue of the Brass Nation CD, a 20th anniversary uh, reissue. Uh, the original CD was recorded in 2000, and it features 55 of the world's finest brass players, including the Chicago Symphony Brass Section, the principal brass of the New York Philharmonic, Jerry Hay and his unbelievable L.A. section, as well as uh, various New York luminaries, Randy Brecker, Tim Hagens, Scott Wenholt, Greg Gibbsberg. Uh, we're also going to be recording a couple bonus tracks for that. We're hoping to do that at the beginning of the summer and then uh, release the, uh, the anniversary uh, special edition uh, at the end of August. So keep an eye out for that one. Uh, I'm also really excited to announce that we're adding a concert band series to the Hippo Music Catalog. Uh, three really wonderful arrangers are working as we speak on uh, three of my compositions. And we're going to debut those at a concert in Evansville, Indiana, with the Evansville Symphonic Band in June. And then right after that, they'll be available on the Hip Bone Music website. So we'll keep you posted. Uh, as always, want to thank you uh, right up front for your support of Hip Bone Music. Uh, keep liking us on Facebook and on YouTube, sharing it with your friends. We can't do it without you, so we really appreciate uh, all the support, as always. Uh, all right, without further ado, I have been looking forward to this one for months. Uh, these are... The best way I can put it, two of the finest trumpet players anywhere in the world. Uh, they happen to be here in New York City, and I am uh, honored whenever I get to play with them, and I'm honored that they're here today. Uh, the great Raul Agraz and Maneco Ruiz are with us as our Artists of the Month. And um, let me give you a quick introduction for each gentleman. Um, Raul hails from Caracas, Venezuela where he had crafted a very successful career as a trumpet player there. He moved to New York in 1996 uh, and quickly became one of the most in-demand players in town. He's one of those rare individuals, as they both are, comfortable in any musical situation. If he's playing in a symphony orchestra, if he's playing Afro-Cuban music, if he's playing jazz, if he's playing a Broadway show. Um, and right now, speaking of that, he is uh, holding the, the trumpet chair at the uh, mega-hit Book of Mormon. He's held that uh, position since the show opened in, uh, I think it was 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and before that, he was on another big Broadway hit, In the Heights. Uh, his recording and performance credits uh, reads like a who's who of the music business, and in particular the uh, Latin music world. Mark Anthony, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Audra McDonald, uh, the Venezuela Philharmonic, Billy Joel, Ruben Blades, Herb Alpert, Arturo Sandoval, Michelle Camilo, uh, Tito Puente, Eddie Palmieri, and I can assure you that's just a partial list. Uh, he's also uh, achieved a lot of success as a solo artist. Uh, he released his first CD, Between Brothers, and uh, immediately received a Latin Grammy nomination. Uh, our other featured artist this month, Maneco Ruiz, is uh, one of my favorite people and one of my favorite players. I get to work with him uh, almost every day of the week when we're both in. We both are doing the, uh, uh, the Broadway hit Moulin Rouge. Uh, it's always uh, just makes our life so much easier when uh, Maneco is there to, uh, to lead us in the section. Uh, Maneco hails from Ponce, Puerto Rico. Uh, comes from an extremely musical family. His father's a trumpet player, his uncle's a trumpet player, his brother's a trumpet player. And uh, I, think, I think he's probably the shining star of the family, but you, you'll never get him to admit that, I, I can assure you. Uh, I, 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 could <laughs> I could describe him as a, as a disciple and a star student of uh, the late, great Prof Fielder, who uh, for many decades uh, 
taught trumpet at Rutgers University and had uh, an incredible uh, number of students who studied with him. Uh, uh, Wynton Marsalis, Freddie Hubbard, uh, Marcus Printup, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, as I mentioned, he's uh, holding down the trumpet chair at Moulin Rouge. He also has an extensive resume in the Broadway world. Uh, before that, did Rocktopia, uh, On Your Feet, more recently, the Share uh, Show. Uh, he's a member of the Spanish Harlem Jazz Orchestra. Uh, he's, again, just like, uh, just like his colleague Raul, he has a, a, an impressive list of artists that he's worked for. Uh, that's include uh, Arturo O'Farrell's uh, Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, Gloria Estefan, uh, Boston Brass, the Puerto Rico Symphony Orchestra, Jennifer Lopez, Mark Anthony, also Eddie Palmieri, Luis Enrique, Ruben Blades. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sorry for the long introduction, <laughs> but uh, so glad you're here, and I uh, can't wait to, to talk about no, your guys' was, extraordinary careers and, and, and lives in music. That was a hell of an introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having us. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for being here. You know what? Let's, let's start off and uh, introduce our audience to, uh, you know, what it was like growing up. As I mentioned, you're from Venezuela, you're from uh, Puerto Rico, so why don't we start with you, Raul. Tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up in Venezuela, how you got into music, and what, what drew you to the trumpet. Well, um, I started early, very early year on. I mean, uh, when I was seven years old, I was in my third grade, and uh, in, I, I, I grew up in a very small town in Venezuela, Villa de Cura, which is about two and a half hours from Caracas, almost three hours. And um, this town is very famous because they have a core, a very famous core, and well known around the world. So, and they used to, they used to go to every element, elementary school and get the best students and to sing in this particular core. And uh, I was one of them. You know, when I and what they used to do that they used to write a letter to the the parent, and I remember when I when I give I gave it that to my to my to my mother. She said she was very happy with because that back then was a big deal. You know, <laughs> getting picked by, by this court, and uh, that's how it started. And um, and I remember when uh, uh, when I was about eight years old, this court, the the leader of this court. They start to build uh, a school, a musical school. So, and I, you know, having started with them since uh, since my I started when when I when I turned seven years old, I just continued singing with them. But at the same time, they starting to introduce to every singer, every every student in, in the in the core. To a particular instrument, so, and I remember that I, they teach you first with a recorder, big flat recorder, mm -hmm. how to read the music, how to learn music, and then, when you finish, like a five or six lesson, then you you have to pick up the instrument that you really want to play, and uh, I remember <coughs> that I pick up the trumpet, but uh, they didn't have a trumpet back then, so they have a French horn, mm. so that was basically my, I mean, my first instrument when when I start with the with this, with, with the student, basically music with them. So after a couple of years, they introduced me to a new trumpet player who's coming to, to teach in the school, and they found a trumpet for me. So that's basically how I start with the trumpet. Wow. Yeah. 
Thank God they got you a trumpet. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> no offense to the French horn players, but we need you playing trumpet. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of really good <clears throat> French horn players. Of course, that's, of course. That's an instrument that I really love. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Maneko, tell I can't yeah. wait to hear oh, the, uh, the dynamic man. between your uh, family members that are growing up. So as you said in your intro, I'm from Ponce, Puerto Rico. My family, they all play trumpet. And... We have a, uh, a system, a music system, school system in Puerto Rico, close, very, very similar to Venezuela. It's like a conservatory for kids called Escuela Libre de Musica. And it just so happened that my dad was a, a fairy teacher there and trumpet teacher. So in Puerto Rico, when, on my hometown Ponce, when you're like eight, then you're, you're able to go to that school after your academic school. So I went there, we started, you know, the semester starts in August. You have to reach certain lesson on the theory book to get the, the instrument. So of that year, I was the first one to get to that lesson. And I remember my teacher went to my dad, which was next door, and said, well, your kid is already on the lesson. Let's get him an instrument. <laughs> so they asked me, what do you want to play? I said, I want to play sax. <laughs> there was no space, you know, there was no spots open in sax. So they said, what else do you want to play? I want to play trombone. <laughs> there was no space either on that one. Well, anyway, to make the story shorter, the only space available was on trumpet. So I said, all right, I'll play trumpet. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. So your dad actually wasn't encouraging you to I play think it was a setup. Oh, it was a setup. I think okay. it was a setup, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that was yeah. our destiny as well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, like I said, I for one am glad you both ended up on trumpets. So yeah, well. That's awesome. You know, before, I want to talk about the move to New York and what it's like for somebody coming from the Caribbean or from South America to make that, to, to have the courage to come to New York because even, even for... <laughs> Somebody like me coming from California, it takes a lot of uh, courage to, to make a move to a place like New York. Before we do, can you guys each describe to me, uh, to us, what, what the scene is like for a professional musician in your, in your country, or in this case in Puerto Rico? Um, and maybe, I mean, I'm sure it's different now than when you were there, but I know that, you know, you've talked about it too, and Caracas had a, a pretty thriving scene, but what was it... Before we talk about the move to New York, what was it like, you know, looking at the possibility of being a professional, or in your case, you were a professional in, in Venezuela, what was that like? Well, uh, I was involved in, 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 in classical music since, uh, since my 10 years to probably 19 years, I was pretty much all academic, you know, uh, legit, how they call it here, uh, trumpet playing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in my small town, I was playing also with different, you know, popular music. Uh, my father used to be a singer, and uh, I remember that I used to go to every rehearsal with him and, and, and sit down behind the trumpet players and, and trying to figure it out what they, what they were playing. Mm -hmm. So when I finally moved to Caracas, uh, probably on my 17, 18 years old, uh, I start working right away, right away, because my teacher back back then uh, he asked me to go to the Venevision, which is a big uh, TV channel, and the back then all all the street 
very important uh, TV channels, they used to have orchestras. Mm. And uh, mm -hmm. he asked me to go and, and solve for him. And, and, I, and I went one day, and, uh, and uh, they called me to do the Miss, Miss Venezuela, which is a very important you know, tradition in, in, in Venezuela. It's a big deal to be part of this musical. It's basically a musical. Mm -hmm. So I started recording with them, with the, with the orchestra, and then pretty much after that, I started working with everybody else in, in Venezuela. I got called to do uh, many, many jingles. That was basically my my income back then. And uh, TV shows uh, or, or recording for a, a new movie or commercial for a new uh, for another another country sometimes mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. uh, many producers went to venezuela to record a jingle for to for a, a specific product for ecuador or colombia or peru you mm. know they used to go to venezuela to oh, venezuela is yeah. the hub for uh, yeah. that involves to do America. the whole thing uh -huh. and the same happened when when uh I don't know now, probably now it's not happening anymore, but back then, the many uh, artists, they used to go to Venezuela and put together the orchestra to, uh, like a base to tour from Venezuela. Mm. People from Spain, people from uh, Colombia or Ecuador or Santo Domingo or mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, they put the singer, the singer come and put the band together in Venezuela and then we... We do a, like a tour for for the whole South America. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, I did that with uh, Julio Iglesias, uh, Rafael, Rocio Dulcar, Isabel Pantoja, the big names in Spain. You know, uh, big names in Colombia, and of course the the locals from Venezuela as well. Interesting. So, okay. So, so Venice. I mean, it's a country as opposed to a city like New York or Los Angeles. But Venezuela sounds like a center. It was like, a like huge. Yeah, it was a know. huge. Exactly. Wow. Everybody used to go there and put the band together, you know, and from there start, you know, touring. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Mineko, how about Puerto Rico? And I know it's probably changed, you know, even in the last oh, yeah. uh, decade or so. Just like for you. New York, you know. Yeah. But you know, in my hometown Ponce, back then in the mid-90s there was a few salsa bands that i started playing with them thanks to my father of course you know recommending <laughs> me and my brother then in 97 i moved to san juan which is the capital of puerto rico where the conservatory conservatory of music is you know to study there and my brother was already already established in san juan so he was playing with elias lopez which for me is like the best the greatest lead trumpet yeah. from puerto rico and he started taking me to the rehearsals and then my brother left the band and Elias called me for the band and then he started recommending me with a lot of people, you know, so it was me and him playing a lot of gigs and then with big names, which, you know, it's not important right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, there was, you know, in Puerto Rico, we have a thing that every town, there's 78 towns, they have the... Uh, this uh, festivities called Fiesta Patronales, and it goes for 10 days. Back then it was like that now because of government issues, mm. which is not important either. Actually, so it now it went down to like three days, four days. So you can imagine how many gigs you, you could get, you yeah. know, playing in every town every week, you know. So it's still like that a little bit, you know. You play three, four gigs if you're good, 
you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just like that, you know. There's you could be at home on a Thursday and all of a sudden you have three gigs for the weekend. And all great musicians, you know, in Puerto Rico, there's a great school of trumpets, you trumpets. know, trumpet players, yeah. you know, amazing uh, teachers. And, yeah, and it's basically like this, you know, like here, over the years, the work is, you know, being, yeah. becoming less and less and less, you know. You know, it's great for us to realize, too, as, uh, especially for Americans, but, uh, but in more specifically, like New York or Los Angeles, you get, you end up getting this kind of like, you know, myopics a little strong, but, you know, you get this kind of centered viewpoint of, oh, wow, you know, but this, this, like these thriving scenes exist or, you know, yeah. like you're saying, it's, it's less now, but important yeah. work is being done, you know, in Venezuela and Puerto Rico. And, yeah. and it's a, a parallel to what's going on, uh, you know, in a, in a place like New York or Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, Asia. one of the great things about our countries, you know, is that over there you have to play any style. Any style. Yeah. You have I mean, to play you know, salsa, jazz, classical, you know, you play salsa during the day and then you go play Mahler I remember at night. That, uh, um, talking about that, I mean, uh, I wasn't a really uh, Latin player, salsa player, uh, being in Venezuela. I was, I was playing with everybody, every kind of style. I started playing more salsa when I moved to New York. Oh, really? Now, wow. Yeah. And recording, you know, more more Latin music when I, when I moved to New York. Yeah. So that's... And, Something that in Venezuela we used to do, cover everything, yeah. Like when I they, said, uh, sorry, like I said in the intro too, like both of these gentlemen, like for, for those of you who are learning more about them right now, um, are stellar, legit players, classical players, and uh, I can I can attest to it firsthand. Uh, and having played with them, and they have their their all of that aspect of playing the brass instrument is completely together. So uh, it's a good it's a good lesson for us to all strive for that. Um, let's talk about the move to the United States. Um, maybe Manny, we'll start with you on this one. Um, and and. I know having the, especially for you guys who both were successful in in your countries, and you could easily have just stayed there. So, tell, maybe talk to us a little bit about the the uh, the emotions of it, and what made you decide to move to the U.S. And maybe share a little bit. We're going to talk about some of the time in New York, more specifically. But mm -hmm. What was those initial thoughts about moving to the U.S.? Well, I wanted to do my masters in trumpet, so. I first tried in 2002, I went to University of Illinois, and my teacher there was uh, the great Ronald Ron, mm -hmm. who used to play with the Canadian brass. He was great, but it was so cold <laughs> that after four months, I said, you know what, I'm going back to Puerto Rico. <laughs> so I went back to Puerto Rico, spent a year, and then I, wanted, I saw a prof on a video that he's, you know, there's a, the making of this city of Wink Marsalis and uh, Catherine Battle, and I saw Prof on that video, and I was like, man, I want to study with that guy. So I went to Rutgers just to study with him. Then I didn't play any gigs for the first year and like two months because nobody knew who I was. So I came from working a lot in Puerto Rico to nothing. So there was a time that, you know, you get depressed. Oh, my God, how am I going to pay my bills? So then one, one day, this friend of mine from Puerto Rico calls me and he says, I got a friend that needs a lead trumpet on a salsa band. So it just so happened that that guy was running all the clubs in Queens. Remember the yeah. uh, Freddie? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I went from zero to playing like 20 gigs a month <laughs> with that guy. It was crazy. 
And then little by little, you know, you meet people, you know, like this guy, and mm -hmm. they recommend you for other gigs, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Ronald, well, you shared a little bit before we started the interview, but tell us, yeah. tell us about what made what well, inspired uh, you to come to the U.S. Back in 1985, I got called uh, to do uh, an album for a, a well-known salsa singer. His name is Oscar De Leon. It's, uh, it's well known around the world. It's like a, the Celia Cruz, but in this case, uh, it's Oscar De Leon. Uh -huh. that's, that's a comparison that I can I can I can make right now. So, and I. I did the album for him, and I, I I got called for a producer, and then I did the album for him, and he was in the studio. So he asked me to because he was in need for a trumpet player for his band. I said, "Man, I'm looking for a trumpet player. Uh, Would you interested in on tour?" You know, I said, "Yeah, uh, let's try." And I uh, I started with him in 19 uh, late 84. In from '84 to '89, okay. traveling with him around the world and getting to know. Every time I go, uh, we come to New York. I remember uh, we used to play like a 60 gigs in a month. It was, I mean, back wow. then, by then it was a lot, a lot of work. Yeah, you know, and in many clubs. That's 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 why he's uh, that's how he said, you know. And um, back in 1992, uh, I quit the band. And I started uh, playing with the Philharmonic because my teacher was playing with the Philharmonic and he really wanted me to, to, to do the audition to play with the Philharmonic. So, so I started playing with, with the Philharmonic and I continued doing the, the same work, you know, uh, that I was doing before I, uh, I was traveling with Oscar. So in 1994, when the whole political situation started to change in Venezuela, uh, uh, me and my wife was telling, you know what, uh, this is gonna change. I mean, I, I, back then I, 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 I used to have so many Cubans, uh, musicians, friends in Venezuela, living in Venezuela, they told me this is not gonna change, it's gonna be the same as Cuba. So, and I talked I talk to that to my wife and I said, you know what, we should, we should think about to move to somewhere else, you know. I, I, I got offered to move to Spain, I got offered to go to Curaçao, mm. uh, Colombia, but I always thought to, you know, I, I really, I, I don't know, I, I, I want to improve myself, I want to mm. do something better, so, and uh, I took the decision to move to New York, and uh, I just make a couple of phone calls, because I, I make good friends when in, in my stay with Oscar de Leon, a good uh, producers, uh, phone calls, and uh, as soon as I arrived to New York in 1996, the same day that I arrived from the, from the airport, they they picked me up and they, they brought me to the recording studio. <laughs> so that's how it started. Totally different than me. It took yeah. a year and two months. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very lucky. I mean, I consider myself very lucky because I... From then, from there, I never stopped working. I mean, because I did the first recording, it become a hit in the radio. So when everybody wants to, everyone wants to use me, uh -huh. you know. And uh, I remember that I, that I made really bad uh, enemies like uh, Pilo. Back then, he was a good Puerto Rican, amazing trumpet player. But he was, 
everybody start calling me and I say, but that's not my fault. I mean, I, <laughs> everybody's giving my number to this to this person and and and, and but it was a, a few you know moments that we got some issues, but you know, we're, we're really good friends now. So yeah, that's good. so for, I mean, it never stopped from them. So thank God I've been lucky and and. Uh, and that's how that's how you started. That's well, how I, I, I don't think it's luck, but I, <laughs> but how dare you sound that good that people want to call you? That's a lot of nerve coming here with that. <laughs> well, it kind of it kind of uh, uh, goes right into my next uh, thoughts about it. But when you look back on it, you you kind of just answered it. But are there other maybe there's some other ones that are that you look at as kind of pivotal moments that that really helped. Um, you know, kind of catapult you in terms of your New York uh, career and, and the stature that both of you guys have. I mean, I, I think I met you first, maybe before that, but maybe on In the Heights, I know for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I think we knew each other a little bit before then, but, but you were already uh, super established by that point. So it just kind of shows how, you know, people are uh, living in this big city and you may or may not intersect with somebody, even though yeah, you're doing yeah. the same big, you know, a lot of the same type of work. But, uh, but anyway, are there any, any couple of other things that jump out at you as like, wow, that was a super important, uh, gig or connection or something. Well, uh, you know, playing Latin music, I have the opportunity to, uh, uh, to meet many, many, many good musicians, uh, uh, American musicians, uh, in, in, playing in the same uh, Latin bands. And uh, I got the opportunity to, to meet, uh, for example, Kevin Bryan. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I, he asked me, uh, as, as I play with, with him many times, he asked me to, to, to come and suffer him in a, a the full Monty. Mm. That's the show that he was playing. So uh, that was pretty much the beginning uh, uh, of my, you know, when I start solving in, in, in musicals in Broadway, and I get to know the producers, get to know the contractor and other musicians in this scene, so that's that's pretty much what I what happened to me. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how about you, Maneko? I mean, we've talked about it a lot in, uh, privately, but uh, well, it's hard to break from to go from like sauce. I was doing. You know, mostly salsa gigs and classical gigs, you know, but small, you know, chamber groups and all that stuff. But then he called me to sub at... Uh, in the Heights. In the Heights when, when he was off Broadway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then he moved to Celia. Celia's show. Remember that show? Mm -hmm. Off Broadway, too. Then John Walsh, the great John Walsh, started calling me to sub on your previous show, too. The, uh, uh, Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. And then I started playing with the Spanish Harlem Orchestra, and they were gonna do this production of Gloria Stefan and Broadway and all that stuff. And they called Oscar Hernandez, which is the uh, the uh, musical director for the Spanish Harlem Orchestra, and he rec recommended me for the job for the uh, Broadway show, mm -hmm. Sally, uh, on your feet. Mm -hmm. And that's how it, you know, that's how it started. Mm -hmm. you know, him, Walsh, Oscar Hernandez. Mm -hmm. you know. How would you guys say, uh, in terms of the Latin scene in New York, which has always been a thriving parallel scene to Broadway or mainstream recording, how would you say it's changed over the last 10 years? I'm sure it's similar to everything else that's less, uh, but would you say that it's still... This is pretty much you know? known, actually, uh, yeah. uh, the Latin scene in New York right now. There's a few, few bands still playing. Few leaders are still, you know, putting the band together, 
But I remember when I moved from Venezuela, uh, I used to do like seven gigs a day. Every day, I didn't have any day off. And not only, <laughs> not only playing with different bands and different singers, recording dates as well. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm talking about 90, 96, 97, 98 from then. In 2001, everything started changing. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally, totally. So, there is still some, a couple of leaders still, you know, trying to make a living in the Latin museum, but it's, it's, it's not the same, definitely not the same. Mm -hmm. You would uh, agree with that? Well, America, yeah, it's so. been really hard for Latin music in New York, you know, as you know, all these buildings in Times Square where there used to be a lot of um, clubs, Latin yeah. clubs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's too expensive to, for them to put a club. Like, for example, Copacabana is still there, but they don't have enough money to pay a band. So mm -hmm. they bring a band like once a month or twice a month, mm -hmm. and they, they don't want to pay the musicians like fairly, you know. So, you know, there's a, there's a few clubs in Queens, but they don't bring bands all the time either. So no. now, no. like, you know, when yeah, I started then, playing back gigs. Then, back then, there were so many clubs open and, and I mean, as I say, you're playing a week like uh, in the same club, sometimes three times a week mm -hmm. with, dif with different singers, yeah, in different bands. So, and not only that, you know, not only here in New York, there's there were so many clubs in New Jersey as well, and we used to go back then. I mean, sometimes we play a gig here, go to New Jersey, and then play in New Jersey another gig, and then come back to Queens to play mm -hmm. another gig in Queens. So by the time you end. It was already <laughs> 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's always interesting. I think, it, you know, wherever you go, every city that you go to, you know, London, Chicago, Nashville, Los Seems Angeles. To be so, yeah, the same, yeah. We're all kind of in that same uh, situation mm -hmm. of now we're having to, as musicians, try to create something, you know, like yourself doing your records. I know Manny's talked, we've talked about project that you're doing coming yeah. up. I have my projects and I think it becomes uh, imperative for us as musicians to, to be proactive and, and, and in a way it's, in a way it's disheartening to see the work pool shrink the way it has. And in another way, it's creating a, a different mindset that we have to kind of uh, adapt to. And, you know, even though you have tremendous notoriety in the, Latin music, both of you in the Latin music world, you know, you have a Grammy-nominated record for the Latin Grammys. That's pretty, you know, you probably wouldn't have had that if you it weren't, you know, motivated and pushed yeah. into having to, to exactly. think about yeah. things on that level. So, yeah. as always, there's kind of a yin and yang, I think, with everything. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Broadway situation, which we all share that now, and, and thankfully, it looks like, well, you're, there's no question you're on a big hit show. <laughs> it looks like Mineko and I are uh, on a, what hopefully is going to well, be a, somewhat of a wrong show, hit, yeah, hit, long -running hit show. One thing that I find, um, we're, we're going to talk about it a lot in, in the lesson, the Hip on You lesson we do with Raul. Tell me about your approach, because you've been, you've sat on two long-running hit shows. Within the Heights ran four years, was that what you guys ran? Uh, four years, yeah. Four years, and now on Book of Mormon, you're starting, what, your 10th year or something like that? Or? Nine years. Nine years, Nine okay. Years. So how do you approach, like, I mean, that's our downside to playing a Broadway show. It's the exact same thing every day. So you want to do a great job. You want to keep a good attitude. You want to keep a good approach. Tell me how you, because you are one of the best guys in town, and it, you always make it very comfortable. When I've subbed at Book of Mormon, it's a, you make everybody feel 
comfortable, which is a really nice thing. Yeah. Um, how, how do you approach having a full-time, long-running uh, show like that? Well, I had the opportunity to sub before those long runs in, in good shows that I, I have the same attitude from another musician. You know, we're very positive with me, really helped me at the same time. And uh, my approach is to be... Uh, uh, is trying to be um, as much as as professional as I can, be on time all the time, uh, trying to be prepared, trying to be warm up by the time you're gonna play the first note, and uh, and be friendly with everybody, you know, trying to get every, trying to get to know uh, every contractor, every musician, every new sub to come to the show, trying to give it the the best uh, welcome, you know. Because sometimes when a sub coming for the first time to the show, uh, they they nervous. They don't know what's gonna happen. You mm -hmm. know? As you know, you're just up in so many shows. The same with you, and uh, that's basically uh, the most important thing that I I try to do for 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 a new person who's coming to play the show for the first time. And then after the third time, if he's not doing a good job, then I start to, you know, say, okay, you know. You the hammer do, comes yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Well, I cannot say that, you know, the couple times you've pointed stuff out to me when uh, I've played on your shows, you, you always do it in such a professional way that yeah, you, make yeah. it, you make it feel like you want to help them get yeah, it better, definitely. not you're at fault. You know, yeah, but if you play well, uh, of course, I'm going to be more comfortable. That's what I want. I want everybody to come to play to the show to feel comfortable then, that day and I don't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. I just have to think to play my show and try yeah. to make the best I can, you know, yeah. every day. Mineko, I'm sure you echo that in there. Well, of course. Well, he, he covered the uh, environmental situation <laughs> on a pit, which is great, you know, now as a player, but, you know, here it's, it's a little different, you know. You know, our shows, we have to play piccolo. Yeah. And that, you know, it messes with your shops a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So I it's always try to keep my shops fresh, you know, like I, you know, I warm up at the house, you know. On my way back from the show, I try to, as much as I can, you know, just to keep it fresh. And then with the music per se, just be as clear as I can so mm -hmm. people can follow, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same, the same. Uh, I'm I'm trying to to uh, sleep well now that I'm not playing uh, at night anymore, <laughs> like we used to do. Sometimes we we still doing that, but not, not as often as we want. You know. And uh, and trying to the same, trying to warm up as early as I can, uh, get up early and try to warm up a little bit, and then in my car trying to bust my mouthpiece and trying to get to the theater like 50 or 20 minutes before downbeat and trying to play a little bit. And the same, the, the warm down is very important after every show. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah Maneka, you touched on something that I think is super important. And, and I know for myself, uh, I can get lazy about it, you know, when I'm doing <laughs> well, a show that I know. That. And, and like, okay, I don't have yeah. to practice today because I, I'll, get, I'll get some maintenance at the show. Yeah. And you can get away with that a little bit, but I think you're absolutely, when you said, you know, you got to keep things somewhat fresh. I know even I, I keep mean, my old etude books from when I was in college, and I'll go back through, well, i got to play through some of this. And it's not pleasant. I wouldn't want to be listening. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, also, I wouldn't want to be listening to me, but, uh, but it, 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 you know, miraculously, the next day, it feels much better. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's, especially when you play older gigs, 
and then but you you haven't done that in a, in a long time like a few weeks that you're just playing the show the show the show and all of a sudden you take a big band gig that's very you know heavy for the lead trumpet and, you don't have and then you go back to the show after that you're like oh my god what happened you know like like a mac truck you know so that's why you have to you know that happened to me right now i'm 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 playing with the berlin big band ah um i'm, I'm a member of the band and uh, that's a chair that we uh, that's, uh we shared the 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 lead book uh john john washing me but sometimes john is not there so and and i have to lead the the band play the whole book and uh, that's a hard book. Sometimes I have to play that book and all the chart because they call the second trumpet player who's not playing lead. So, and then I have to go back to play uh, my show. And, uh, and my show has the particularity that the first, the, the very opening of the show is with the piccolo trumpet. So, <laughs> so I have to be careful how much I'm gonna play that night at Berlin in how I'm gonna pace myself to not hurt my chops to play the, the, the piccolo on uh -huh. my show. So that's something very important to Yeah, understanding the yeah. pacing. And the, you know, I just wanna take one step back because both of these gentlemen are such pros at it. Um, but for those of you who don't know, on the New York Broadway scene, um, when you come into sub for the first time, there is a lot of pressure. The expectation is that you're gonna sound just like the regular, and that's, that's a tall task, especially when you're filling in for these gentlemen. Um, and I just think uh, it's especially worth noting that uh, when, when somebody takes the time to make the subs feel comfortable, because a lot of times the conductor may or may not do that. They might, but they might not. And, and you kind of feel a little bit isolated. And when you have somebody like who's going to play as good as you guys do, and then also just just a friendly word here or there, whatever, it yeah. really makes a big difference. So Correct. that's kind of where we were going with it, for those of you who don't uh, know about the, what it's like subbing on Broadway shows in New York, and I'm sure it exists in uh, other cities as well with, in terms of subbing. Let's talk about the music part right now, which is perhaps a little more fun than the business part. <laughs> you guys both have this phenomenal approach to playing lead trumpet, and we've talked about it uh, at, at great length. Um, Tell me about your approach. For instance, this last week, we, we all three of us were on uh, sessions for the for the movie In the Heights, um, and Raul played lead trumpet on it, Maneko played second trumpet, great brass section, and, and wonderful uh, writer and producer Alex Lacamora. Um, tell me about your approach to playing lead. I want uh, to get the same question to Maneko, because both of you guys, I know as a trombone player, we're always trying to match you guys. You're super consistent. You, I mean, Maneko, I don't think I even asked him two questions in all of Moulin Rouge. I just listen to what he's doing and do that, and yeah. it sounds good, you know? Yeah. So tell me about, how, if you can, put it into words, how, how, how you approach uh, playing lead trumpet. Well, the way that I, that I approach is not as a lead trumpet player. As I, 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 in general, as a trumpet player. Mm. Uh, not a lead trumpet player, as a trumpet player. And uh, what I try to put together is time... Uh, sound, intonation, uh, get along with everybody else, you know, and being lucky to some many times playing with him or Tony Cadler or, or Nick Marchand and uh, really good musicians that they feel they made you feel comfortable every time you play. So in any given situation, if you, if you by any chance the producer of this tune wants you to play the lead trumpet, you you. 
the way that I approach is just to be ready as a trumpet player to to play that lead part that they, they just put in front of me. It happened also when you have to play the second trumpet or the third trumpet or the fifth trumpet. So it's more for me like to be ready as a trumpet player how to approach every part of the music that they in any given situation mm -hmm. happen to, to, to give it to you. So that's how I that's how I <coughs> how I see uh, uh, my approach to play lead trumpet. Of course, you know, trying to pace myself as much as I can. You know, if if I if I'm playing the lead trumpet, and trying to delegate. In, in if there's a unison line that I I know and I'm gonna be playing high and this and and the second trumpet has the same line. I'm gonna let the second trumpet to to you know play yeah. that and then. For me to, that's another way to pace yourself, you know. You don't have to be the macho man and, <laughs> and try to play the whole line and, uh, and be, you know, the, 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 the super lead. The super lead, no, it's not, it's not <laughs> trying to be, trying to play in, in, a, in a team, trying to be a team player. Yeah. So that's the way that I, I see it. Yeah. I don't see the lead trumpet player like, a, I mean, there is some amazing lead trumpet player that they got called to do only that, you know. But at the same time, not all of them can play probably a fourth trumpet or third mm -hmm. trumpet, mm -hmm. you know. So, so I, I like to see myself as a trumpet player. Mm -hmm. that, that most of the time I get called to play lead, but I'm also ready to play uh, any part in the band. Yeah, for sure. Mineko, I know Prof had a lot of influence on you in your approach. How, how does that carry over well, into the... Prof mm -hmm. was more of an influence on... Uh, tone production, stuff like that. But it was like Elias Lopez in uh, Puerto Rico. When I started playing with him, it was so good that I started uh, imitating him. Mm. That's how we learn, right? We <laughs> imitate other people. So I started asking a lot of questions, like, where did you get that, you know, stuff like that. He was like, he used to play with a salsa band called El Gran Combo, which is like one of the biggest salsa bands ever in the 60s. So he used to come to New York and he used to take lessons with all, all these great lead trumpets from New York in the 60s. So he started, you know, passing me those, you know, learning experiences that he got back then. And one of the things was like, for example, you know, playing lead, you know, your rhythm has to be perfect in order for others to follow you. Intonation, like he said, I mean, he mentioned you know, everything, so I'm just... Then one of the things that he mentioned to me, which for me was genius, you know, back then, now it's something normal for people. If you're the lead, you have to make the section, the section sound good no matter what. If it means that you have to play out of tune in order to be in tune with others, <laughs> you know, you're the lead. You're in charge of making this sound good. Right. And it happens to me many times, I'm sure mm -hmm. it happened to you, yeah. you're playing like, for example, high E, and the other trumpet player is flat or sharp or whatever, and you, after a few seconds, you notice that they're not going to adjust to you, so you just adjust to them and make them sound good. Mm -hmm. So that's my approach. Like, for example, in our show, there's a few sections, I don't know if you noticed that, but now that we're here, I'm going to share that with you, <laughs> that I'm I feel like there's a, there's a few lines <laughs> that I feel like the trombone should lead the section. So I... I back down a little bit, you know, put a little softer, and then I follow you for those few bars. Mm. 
that's how you know I think it should be you know yeah. find a way to make things sound good sound, sound, yeah you know well I think I think you guys touched on it in, in different ways but it's like you approach it as musicians you know you're not lead trumpet I'm the boss yeah, yeah, you know, you're approaching yeah. it and you and like Maneko just said I mean sometimes if you're playing lead you have to make the section sound good and you guys uh, there's no question you guys do that, that I mean the uh, a lead trumpet player uh, the the work of a lead trumpet player is trying to playing the same always and try to make everybody to feel comfortable playing that way. If you're gonna play the line, play the line the same way every time mm -hmm. you play the mm -hmm. line, so that everybody gets to know to know that you're gonna play that that way. Mm -hmm. So, in some cases, you know, you 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 in in many situations, I I play with some other cats that they just play the line and they, they play different every time you play, mm -hmm. you know, the same right. line. Can't so, follow them and you like can't that. follow that, so yeah. that's... that's Yeah, the consistency is The consistency vital. is yeah. not the same, it's vital. Absolutely. Yeah. But talking about uh, Latin playing in particular, um, and I'm sure, I know uh, when I go on a Latin gig, especially with Latin players, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing here, so I'm just going to try to like listen as best as I can to the, the pros and see if I can just try to match what's going on. This is a little bit of a left-footed question, but when you're, what do you find are common challenges that, you know, I hate, to, I don't want to say white players, but, but since I'm white, I can get away with it. Uh, but let's say non-Latin players that come in to play Latin music that maybe not, that's not, you know, where they feel, feel the most comfortable. What kind of challenges do you find uh, most of the time and, and what do you, uh, you know, what recommendations would you make to, to players that are maybe outside of that world of that kind of, that, that style of music? Can I jump in? Listen to the conga. That's it. But listen to the conga, okay. Listen to the conga. Get recorded with a, with a lot of conga, you know, then you, you know, follow the Latin players, you know, trumpet players, whatever. But if you can, if you don't listen to the rhythm section, especially the conga, for me, that's what gives you the that swinging you know style mm -hmm. of the Latin music. That's you know that's the most important thing for me. It's like to be play, it's like to be playing a big band. If you're playing the lead, you're gonna follow the drummer. If the drummer is not doing his job, it made you it makes also your life miserable that night, you know, right. that day. Right. So that happened also with the with the with the conga player. I you mean, there's a, there's a lot of books how to play salsa, and then it comes with a with a sample. That you play on, you know, play along, right? And then, but the percussion is fake, you know. So you should go to a. You want to play salsa? Go to a club. Go to a club. See, you know, yeah. watch a band. You know, pay attention not only to your instrument. In this case, our trumpet. You know, and but listen, listen play, though, pay attention to the rhythm section. To you know? a lot of music, but it's very important also as well. Yeah. yeah. That's a great lesson. How much do I owe you for that? <laughs> I never heard it put so succinctly, though. Follow the conga. It's like, Follow the conga. Uh, that's it. <laughs> why, that's where have you been all my life? <laughs> that's a click. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. That is the that's click. A metronome. Right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. a metronome. That's it. Um, this is a kind of straddling the business thing. Do, do you guys find um, now, because I know you go back to your countries occasionally, and, and do you find that your success that you've had in New York has helped you? Uh, internationally and and in your home countries in terms of uh, profile in terms of work in terms of opportunities that you wouldn't have gotten if you had you not come to New York oh yeah definitely definitely it helps uh, 
uh, especially uh, when I recorded my last, uh, my, my album as a leader, that helped me, uh, everybody was, when I announced that I was recording my solo album, uh, there were so many people calling me from Peru for interviews, for Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I, I made an interview for, uh, I mean, I forgot his name. He's going to kill me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, rem I, I may remember, from Peru and from Venezuela. Uh -huh. So, yeah, definitely, definitely my stay, my being here in New York, definitely, and been doing what, I, what I've been doing, uh, it helps me definitely my, my, my image, you know, mm -hmm. around, mm -hmm. the, around, you know, I, I could say the world because uh, the CD was uh, distributed around, you know, many, any state in Europe and in Japan and and also South America and uh, and I got really good reviews from, from yeah I know from, they got yeah. yeah terrific reviews. Mineco, yeah. I know when you go back to Puerto Rico, you're a star now. So what, well, uh, that's <laughs> the, the advantage of having a, a brother that's a great trumpet player and also my father. So like most of the time that I go to Puerto Rico, I ended up playing a gig, right? Especially covering for my brother. He's stuck. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I can't make that game because I took another one and pays more. <laughs> Go cover that. I'm like, no, I don't want to play. I'm on vacation. But anyways, the the thing that I that we have like, as Latin players, you know, before this before Broadway, we used to travel a lot with salsa bands. So you do recordings. Like, you know, I've done many recordings. I've won Grammys or whatever. So people in Latin America. You know, Colombia, Peru, they follow that. Or Mexico, yeah. they follow that. They check on the uh, the, the, uh, credits. On the credits of the recording and say, oh, this is Raul Agras. So you go to those countries and they they hear that, oh, Raul is coming to town. Let me see if I can take a lesson with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens every time we go to, to those yeah. places. Also, we both have home studios. Right. So I get call from Peru, can you put this trump the trumpets on this track from Puerto yeah. Rico, you know, from anywhere, you know. Yeah, everything changed now. We we used to go to the studio now. We have our, our own studio. So if somebody in Colombia wants to play trumpet, so they send me the track and then I put the trumpets and send them back. Uh, and then we, we exchange gigs. Like if yeah. I can't do a session, I tell the the person, listen, I, I'm too busy this week, send it to Raul, yeah. Yeah. you know, even yeah. though we don't know that we're doing that to each yeah. other, yeah. but we, I know, you know, we... Yeah. It's a, a testament to you guys, and it should be a good lesson for, for all of us, is that you've adapted to what the new paradigm is. Yeah. So we talked about how the scene is shrinking, but this mm -hmm. scene, it didn't exist before, so that now we yeah. have something in the plus uh, ledger over, over here. Exactly. So the fact that you guys have adapted to that is uh, speaks to your... Uh, professionalism and, and smarts. Um, I always get emails if I don't ask this, so I have to ask about equipment. Maneka, what what uh, what horn are you playing and, and oh, mouthpiece and uh, <laughs> so forth? Well, I've been playing the same two mouthpieces for 20 years. When I play classical, I play a Bach 1B. Okay. Uh, symphonic Chan, I think that's what they call it. 22, 25, or 25 and 22, I don't know. And then for commercial playing, I have a copy of a Bob Reeves 43 and a half S that uh, Greg Black 
made me. Mm-hmm. And then my trumpets, I play uh, the Bergeron Yamaha. Yamaha, okay. Yeah. yeah. What about your piccolo? What do you think? Piccolo is uh, Chilky, P54. Is that, is that what it, yeah, P54. On that, I play a Stork 7P, the Evacchiano mm-hmm. model. Mm-hmm. How about yourself, Roll? Well, as you know, I've been, I've been, uh, uh, I just say, uh, I've been endorsed by uh, Cannonball Music for for many, many years. Uh, since uh, when they start making the trumpets in Germany, uh, I really love the trumpets. I, I used to have a couple of trumpets at home. Uh, but uh, for the past year, I, I, I come back to my back. Mm. I, I've been a back user since I started playing in the uh, I don't know. There is something on on, on the back. The, the that's a sound that I yeah keeping my keeping my my ear. Sure. So I I just put recently a uh, back thirty seven. That's a trumpet that I I've been using recently for the most part of what I'm doing right now. I also have a Shire's trumpet, which mm-hmm. is amazing. The model A. And, uh, and I love it. It's very similar to the back. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why you know, I, I kept the, the Shires at uh, uh, the theater, and the 37 is what I use trumpet that I'm using for everything else. Mm-hmm. So And you notice that I, 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 I brought it for this session, and in the highest I brought two trumpets, and I say, and I kept the back. You notice Correct. that. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, it's the classic industry yeah, standard, yeah. right? That's I, remember, the, uh, I remember the past use all of uh, when I met him. Uh, he used to bring three trumpets and, and a bunch <laughs> of mouthpieces, yeah, and put all the mouthpieces in the stand and, and played. How did it sound? How did it sound? He said, you sound great on every, every mouthpiece and every trumpet. So I was getting to that point, and now I'm trying to just keep, you know, with the same mouthpiece and the same trumpet yeah. for everything. So, yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, as we kind of wind down a little bit, um, is there, are there, uh, Two or three, or however many, actually that you, that you like of, uh, of the, your most proudest things that you've uh, you've been a part of, you played on projects, uh, whatever it might be. Maneko, when you go first well, on this one, when I when I was a kid, I used to watch. There, there was a lot of uh, TV shows in Puerto Rico that you know featured these great musicians. Years after, I'm there with them. <laughs> you know, like for example, Raúl. I used to listen to Raul a lot when I was in Puerto Rico, when I was 18 or something like that, you know. And now I play with him all the time. <laughs> so that, other than playing with great artists, for me it's always playing with people that you admire, you know? Mm, sure. Instead of saying, oh, J-Lo. Yeah. No, I admire Raul, Raul Agras, and then I got to play with him, and, you know, I admire him even more, you know? Mm. So that's, for me, that's the uh, satisfaction, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of playing with great musicians, thank you, you know. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't pay for saying that. <laughs> well, I, I spent the check on the man. I'll take care when we get to the show tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> how about yourself, Raul? I know your uh, your resume is about as long as it can get, but uh, I don't know. I can say I'm very proud of uh, my CD. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very proud of everything I've done, and uh, you know when you go. And you're trying to do your best every time you get called to do any 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 session uh, or any given situation rehearsal or, or concert. You know, you're trying to do a hundred percent. But I'm uh, but I'm very proud of this CD that I that I produce myself, 
and uh, put together the band that I really wanted to be in the CD. And I'm uh, very happy with the sound that I got. I yeah. got in the CD, got really good reviews, and, and as you said, I got the Latin Grammy nomination. And, uh, and that's pretty much proud of, you know, of this baby. That yeah, was a baby of course. to me. First I, I baby. I just, yeah, at this point, at this point, I'm pre-producing a new one. I mean, it takes time. Of course, because I, it takes I, a long time. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a long time, and it, and I wanted to be at the same level or probably sure in a better level than yeah. than the than the last one. I, I can, yeah. as a proud owner of Between Brothers, it's a fantastic CD. And go to RaulAgras.com and uh, check it out, pick it up, yeah. download it. It's uh, well worth it. Some beautiful writing, great playing, and a whole range of uh, amazing artists on, uh, on that you, record. So we can't wait to hear the next one. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always ask is, is advice for young people that are getting into the profession. And your guys is, is very important, I think. Um, with the political climate the way it is, we won't get into it, but we are kind of all on the same page with uh, where things are. Um, what advice do you have for young players that are outside the United States that look at you guys and say, wow, those guys made it in New York. I want, I want to try to come to yeah, New York or Los Angeles or anywhere. You're going from your home country to someplace else. What, would, what advice do you have for them? Just as, practice as much as you can, trying to be prepared for any given situation, for any, for any uh, style of music. Try to practice every style of music. Listen a lot of music, a lot of trumpet players, a lot of lead trumpet players. If you are focused on that, and uh, if you if you if you want to play jazz, trying to learn uh, uh, the language well, mm -hmm. and uh, and trying to prepare yourself as much as you can. If you if you wanted to, of course, learn the language. Something that I didn't learn in Venezuela, I learned when I moved here. So. Uh, so I, my language is pretty much a street language, you know, a street, uh, I could Geek say. Geek language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, probably it's very huge. You went to the school here, and, and my, in my situation, wasn't like that. So that's the best advice that I can give a young student, mm -hmm. just trying to prepare yourself as much as you can and, and be ready. You know, if you're going to make the jump, then so if you if you prepare yourself to be a, uh, the best, so you're gonna have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and and when you when you get the opportunity, when when somebody gives you the opportunity, the chance, trying to uh, 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 trying to implement everything that you prepare yourself, you know, in your early in your early career. Yeah. I think your level of for both of you, your level of preparation comes through as soon as you play a scale. You can hear it, uh, how prepared you are. And I think that's one of the great things about music is that it does transcend borders. And when you sit down in a section and you play, both of you play the way you do, I don't care if you're from Venezuela or Moscow or Chile yeah. or Japan or wherever, it just yeah. feels good and we're there to make music and to play. So you're, you're, I think part of your point is focus on all that those particulars in the music because yeah. that's what it's all going to come down to exactly Maneko, i know you've got something to say I mean, about for this. me it's all about the passion you feel for something you know like i always wanted to be good at mm -hmm. playing the trumpet so i said you know what i have to leave mm -hmm. so even though when i came here i couldn't speak english you know 
I said, you know what, my passion is so big for this that I need to improve that first because the trumpet has never been a problem. It's been you know, communication, the language. So you know, when I came to Rutgers, I was in a class that it was 200 people. And you had every week you had to do an oral presentation, you know. <laughs> so imagine how scared I was. But the passion for the music, for trumpet, is so much that I say, you know what? This is not going to stop me. So I kept going. I kept, you know, getting together with people, you know, that play great. And just follow that, you know. All the problems that we have in our countries, if you have the passion, you can't just surpass that, you know. Totally. Like, you totally. find a way. If you really have the passion for it, you're gonna find a way to to do it to make it happen. Mm. Yeah. You know. Well said. Oh, that's took the words right out of my mouth. That's great. You guys, yeah. thank you so much for doing this. This yeah. was awesome. Thanks for having what us. A, what a pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this as much as I did. Uh, these guys brought an incredible uh, international flavor that we uh, are looking to add more of all the time on Bone to Pick. And uh, hearing their stories was really inspiring and. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it, and uh, we will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick.